Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation. So we may have taken a little bit of a detour this morning, but uh, not tonight. Uh, we're going to f- continue on in Revelation chapter 14. So we will be in Revelation chapter 14, and we'll be in verses 9 through 11 this evening. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. And uh, <clears throat> again, we just have to be reminded that this comes in the broader context of the message of the angels that um, the first angel, of course, was flying in the midst of heaven. Uh, we talked about that, and the second angel um, was talking about uh, the, the destruction of Babylon. And we come now to the third angel. And uh, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11, if you're physically able to do so, let me, <clears throat> let me invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9, it says this, and the, <clears throat> excuse me, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the name, <clears throat> excuse me, the name shall... The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Let's pray. Father, as we have now read your word, we want to be serious uh, about uh, thinking clearly about your word and being guided by your word. So help us to give uh, ear to your word now uh, and receive it with, uh, uh, with the grace given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you. Be seated. It is amazing to me at all of the different views that people have on the idea of hell. There's a lot of different ideas that are out there on the view, this view of hell. It seems like the most, <clears throat> the most um, prominent lately has been uh, the, uh, this, uh, uh, this re- reoccurrence uh, of, uh, of this, this idea of, of a conditional hell. That is that, that hell itself will only last for a certain amount of time and that ultimately then those who are in hell will, will be burned up and, and then th- there will be no more hell. But there are a lot of other people with a lot of different views on hell and the idea of uh, and the reality of hell. Uh, so, for instance, uh, John Ankerberg and John Weldon, in one of their booklets, The Facts on Life After Death, list for us uh, several, several different views that, that cults throughout the history have, uh, have on hell. So I just want to share a few of those. Uh, so, for instance, uh, Christian Science, who was founded by uh, Mary Baker Eady, teaches that there actually is no death, and they believe that heaven and hell are simply stages and states of thought. Uh, Edgar Case, who was a New Age, quote-unquote, prophet, he said this, that the destiny of the soul, as of all creation, is to become one with the Creator, so that no soul is ever lost. Mormons uh, teach, uh, Joseph Smith argues, that the false doctrine that the punishment to be visited upon erring souls is endless is but a dogma of unauthorized and erring sectarians at once unscriptural, unreasonable, and revolting, of which he has since discovered that is not true. Jehovah's Witnesses have said, uh, founded by Charles Taze Russell, 
that um, they maintain that the teaching about a fiery hell can be rightly designated as, and I quote, a teaching of demons. Uh, and you can go on and on and on. Um, I will only mention one other one, really, and this is only because I have an uncle who is a universalist, a Unitarian universalist, actually goes to one of their churches. Um, <clears throat> but the, they teach, um, it seems safe to say that no Unitarian universalist believes in a resurrection of the body, a literal heaven, or a literal hell, or any kind of eternal punishment. Well, what does the Bible have to say, right? So we, we heard, we've heard all of this, these things that are, uh, um, <clears throat> that, uh, that the cultists and, and New Agers and all these people have, have believed. And there's a lot more I could share with you. But what does the Bible have to say, right? Because that's what we really care about. We really care only about what Scripture has to say on the issue. Well, the third angel's message in Revelation chapter 14 really does show us what, <clears throat> what hell is like. Uh, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> it, seem, it may seem like a strange place for God to, to inspire the Apostle John to see this third angel, right? But in reality, as you follow the, the course of the thought here, so you have the first angel, um, and, and we've talked about that, and, and talking about the eternal and everlasting gospel, and then as a result of that eternal and everlasting gospel, Babylon the Great Falls, and then as a result, then destruction, of that destruction, then judgment follows. And so it's really not out of place, but rather it's just a, it's a, it's a logical consequence of, of what was to happen after the first two angels finished their message. And so here's what I want to do. I want to spend just a few moments looking at this idea of wrath and hell and judgment um, as is presented here in the pages of, of the scriptures. Here's the first one, right? So when we look at the third angel's message, here's the first reality. The wrath of God will be upon all worshipers of the beast. The wrath of God will be upon all worshipers of the beast. That's what he says here in verses 9 and 10, isn't it? Uh, who, who is it that is the one who, who is to be received the pouring out and the, the wrath and the indignation? Well, in verse 9, it tells us, If any man worship the beast and his image... And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. These are the these are those who have given themselves over completely to the worship of the the this antichrist beast. This this um, prompted by the false prophet, prompted by um, the work of the work of the hands of men, uh, and if, and more important, well, and just as importantly, not only the hands of men, but also the hands of or the the work of, of demons and Satan himself. And wrath then is poured out against those who worship this unholy trinity, this unholy alliance of the, the great dragon, the, uh, the antichrist, uh, and, and the false prophet, the beast and the, the, the false prophet. And it, it tells us here that, um, that those who worship this trinity, this unholy trinity, will face the wrath of God. Now, if you're paying attention, though, in Revelation chapter 14, even in Revelation chapter 14, verses uh, 6, through, 6 through 11, there is a, there's a contrast that is being drawn here. I'm going to read, starting in verse 6, and see if you can hear or see this contrast, okay? And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth 
and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. So, in contrast to this unholy trinity, right, what is glaringly true from the pages of this of, of what I just read. Well, in contrast to this unholy trinity, this passage is highly trinitarian. It is highly trinitarian because in contrast to the beast and the false prophet and the great dragon, the father, the son, and the spirit are clearly shown in each step of the ways. As a matter of fact, there's also the, the image of the worship of the true God and the true gospel against the, the false gospel and the false Christ of the, of the beast. Um, because men are supposed to be worshiping the true God of heaven, but instead they have given themselves to worship the false gospel of the Antichrist and of the false beast, this false, this false Messiah. And so this, this passage is highly Trinitarian, and it is, it, it's, it's a great contrast to everything that's going on as we see the work of the true God and the true Godhead at work over against the work of the over against the work of the beast and the false prophet and the great red dragon god's gospel is not going to be stopped god's gospel cannot be stopped god's gospel will overcome eventually and will destroy and take and destroy the the kingdoms of this world as we talked about this morning in daniel chapter 2 or as we saw in in isaiah chapter 9 that that there is uh, uh, that the weight of the government shall be upon his shoulders and there will never be an end of his kingdom uh, or, his, or his peace. And so if we grasp, so let me say this, if we do not grasp the utter horror and the unconscionable nature, and let me even say it this way, the disgusting reality of idolatry, wrath will always seem and particularly hell, will always seem ex excessive and unfair. If we do not grasp the utter horror, the unconscionable uh, nature, and the disgusting reality of idolatry, hell will always seem excessive and unfair. But if we grasp the reality of the disgustingness of idolatry, the, the, the unconscionable nature of idolatry, the horror of idolatry, then we will be able to rightly understand hell. Because you see, hell or wrath, wrath or hell, must be understood considering the larger picture of Scripture. And so we, what do we see? Well, we see that in the page here in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. Listen to what it says here. The same, that's those who receive the mark and those who worship the beast and his image and all of these things. Okay, so the same, these, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Uh, wrath and, and hell must be understood in the larger context of, of what's going on throughout history. 
We must understand hell and the wrath of God in the larger context. Because when we speak of wrath, like it's hard for us. I, it, I think it's very difficult for us as humans to think of wrath any, any other way than, than just somebody just, you know, they, 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 they have, as my, as my mama would say, I've had it up to here, right? Um, and so, um, you know, and, and I've had enough, right? And, and so then they, um, then I, I, you know, you get in trouble or whatever. I think we have a difficult time separating that type of wrath from the wrath that we're talking about here. Because God's wrath is, God, God, God is not impassioned, Right, God, God isn't bound by passions like we are bound by passions, right? God isn't moved by emotions, and he isn't bound by our passions. Uh, his wrath is, is, is constant and is constantly burning and is constantly and righteously always being executed against those who have rebelled against him against those who have refused to take refuge under the, under the banner of Christ and under the name of Christ and under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say this, wrath or hell must be understood as Christ being supreme. You say, well now, Pastor, why would you say that? Well, it is interesting here, isn't it? That even in verse 9 and 10, as much as it may seem like the, that, the, that the focus is on the people who are worshiping the beast and the, the, the beast and the images and the wrath of God. And these are, these, are, these are but supporting ideas. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? Like, how, how is this supporting ideas? Well, notice what it says at the end of verse 10. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Just like always, the Lamb is in view here. The Lamb of God, Jesus, is in view here. And so the reason why the wine is poured out of the wrath of God, the reason why he will pour out his indignation, the reason why torment and tor- people will be tormented in hell and salted with fire and brimstone, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, uh, and this will be done in the presence of the holy angels, is because of the Lamb. The lamb is supreme. The idea here is not the, 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 the hell and wrath and, and, and the worshiping of the idol of the false beast and the false prophet. All these things are supporting roles to the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme. And because Christ is supreme, those who will not worship Christ will face the ultimate um, punishment for their sin. Because they have refused to take refuge in Christ. Because they have refused to enter in by the, by the gate, by the, by, the, by the sheep gate, by the, by the way, by the one who has made the way. And so hell and wrath are to be understood that Christ, they suffer these things because Christ is supreme. And because Christ is supreme, those who will not gather underneath his care will face the judgment they will face the judgment without his his care and let me let me say this i think as you take revelation 14 10 and others i think that it would be irresponsible for us to talk about hell being a place where god is not and i do not believe that's what hell is um, i think if you take revelation 14 10 and several other passages of scripture it is very clear 
that hell is a place very much where God is, but it's a place without his mercy. It is a place without his grace. It is a place where simply justice rules. It is a place where God's justice rules, and God rightly executes his justice upon sinners. Now, that may be a new thought for you. That may not sit well with you. I don't know. But there is no place where God is not. And therefore, hell is a place not where God is absent, but rather where God is allowing the sinner to taste his justice without mercy and without grace. And so it is interesting, though, this idea that in verse 8, there is, it said, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then you go on down to verse 10, and it, it says, uh, and the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Now, how else has throughout Scripture, how else has the prophets re, re, um, re, referred to Babylon, whether spiritual Babylon or physical Babylon? Well, it is interesting when you look at the prophets, they always, whether they're speaking of physical Babylon or spiritual Babylon, they always refer to it as Sodom. As Sodom. And what do we know Sodom from? As the place where God rained his wrath upon the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they tasted fire and brimstone. And it is interesting here that John is drawing the conclusion that this spiritual Babylon, which is, is Rome itself, is going or will or has and will taste the reality of God's fire and his brimstone. Now, what is brimstone? Well, the, the, the literal understanding here of brimstone would just be burning sto- a burning stone, but, but, but we know it by a different name. We know it as sulfur. That's what we know it as. We don't know it as brimstone. We know what it's sulfur. And what does sulfur do? Well, sulfur is a very interesting compound. It, in and of itself, I mean, it's really, it's just there. Uh, but if you strike a match and you light sulfur... You just let that start to glow. If you, under the right lighting, you will catch a blue flame that begins to flow and it begins to melt and it begins to just cover whatever it's on and it begins just to suck, cover it. It begins to just, just engulf it in, in, in this flame and it continues to burn and burn and burn and burn and burn and burn until it, until it burns itself out. And so the idea here that the Lord is saying is that this punishment that will be tasted by those who will not, um, will not um, submit to Christ as Lord of all, their suffering is going to be like nothing anyone has ever experienced. Not since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And not only that, but if you burn sulfur, then there is something called sulfur dioxide that is released. And it's very deadly. It's very dangerous. And that's why you can't do it inside or you kill yourself uh, with the fumes of it. Uh, But I I would simply say to to us that this is ultimately a a reality for uh, it, it, it is meant to 
it is meant to terrify in the sense that we need to understand not only what is at stake for those who will not bow the knee to Christ, but those who actively refuse to bow the knee, the the fearfulness of their judgment that awaits them. This is not going to be like anything anyone has ever experienced. As a matter of fact, if you go on down, not only do we see the wrath of God upon the worshipers of the beast, but we also see the description then. And and the description of, of these worshipers, the torment, the torment of the worshipers, are found here in verses 10 and 11. And there's a couple of different things going on. First is we see pure wrath here in verse 10, first part, because it talks about, it uses the phrase things like without mixture, that's with full strength. Uh, it uses the phrase cup of his indignation, that is the cup of his anger and outrage against sin. Um, Dr. Joel Beakey has, uh, has said this. He has said, there will be no mercy for, or grace in hell for those who worship the beast. Um, and you see, this, this is why it is so beautiful for us to see and, 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 and behold Christ. Because what did Christ do for us? Christ drank to the bottom the cup of the wrath of God, of God's unmixed, unmingled, undiluted wrath upon the cross. He drank that for us. He drank it fully and freely for us so that we will never taste the wrath of those who will not bow the knee and bend the knee to Christ. We have Christ who has drank the wrath of God for us. We have Christ who has, who has tasted the pure wrath of God and has willingly subjected himself to that so that we might be sons and daughters of God, freely and fully forgiven of our sin. But second of all, there is fearful wrath. Because, as it says in the latter part of verse 10, hell consists of several different things. One, it's, it, as I said, it's, it, it's a place of never-ending separation from God's favor. And two, it is a place is a place where sinners are tormented both internally as well as externally. Because they're still conscious. Sinners who are in hell will always be conscious. They will always have their consciousness. They will, just like we who are in Christ, uh, forever exist with our consciousness and with with our same understanding. They too will do the same. But unlike us who receive the blessings of being with Christ, they will receive the cursings of their sin. And so it will be fearful because they will be both internally and externally tormented forever. And lastly, there is eternal wrath. Now, look what it says here in verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, this idea, though it may become popular, and it has become popular in, in, in several places, um, the, uh, Scripture is very clear that hell itself is not, is not going to one day just cease to exist. It is an eternal state in which, in which they, those who have rejected Christ will forever stay, the same as those of us who have come to faith in Christ will forever be in the state of blessing. Uh, they, will, they will taste the wrath of God's eternal uh, of God's eternal wrath and this is this is something and this is why phrases like forever and ever exist right because words have meaning right so we know that 
Um, but today, a lot of people forget that. People just use words, and they forget that words actually have meaning. Uh, and and so, so when it says things like forever and ever, that's exactly what the Bible means, is that hell will be forever and ever. It's not going to be for a time. It's not going to be for a season. Um, it's not going to be as the Mormons teach that, you know, yeah, you know, people may suffer, but then eventually they'll be reexamined. And because they've been in hell and torment, um, they will they will eventually even confess Christ as Lord and be granted forgiveness and grace. No, that's not how this works. But in all of that and having said that. There is something else that comes into view, right? Because as fearful and as 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 trembling as that should be for us. There is a second reality that is presented here, isn't it? In verses 9 through 11. Now, I read verses 9 through 11. I'm not going to really get into this a lot tonight, right? But in verses 12 and 13, there is a stark contrast that is given. There's a stark contrast that is given to, to these. And, and listen to this. Listen to what it says. And like I said, we'll, we'll focus more on this next week, and we'll get into this a little more next week. But notice what it says here in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints and here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me write blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth yea saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them so there is a there is a contrast here not only between the lamb and the and the, 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 the beast or the, the Antichrist and the, the, true, the Godhead and the Trinity and the false trinity. But there's even a, a contrast here between the worshipers of the, the Antichrist and the false Christ and those who worship the true Christ. Because in contrast to the reality of the hell that those who refuse to bend and bow the knee to Christ will suffer because of their, their absolute rejection of Christ... Those who are in Christ will receive the blessing of those who are saints. That, that is that God will preserve and persevere the saints. And so we can speak very clearly of the perseverance of the saints. The saints will persevere. The saints will persevere. Quickly, let me just point out to you again. We'll, we'll look at more in depth of this next week. But, but, but notice, notice some things here really quickly. The lives of the saints in verse 12, right? Here is the patience or the perseverance of the saints, right? What do they do? They keep the commands of God. And it says here they keep the faith. They keep the faith. And then you have the death of the saints in contrast to the death of those who are apart from the, 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 the beast's and the false prophets' followers, and the, the, the dragon's followers. Because in contrast to them, what, what do we see here in, verses, in verse 13? Well, in verse 13, we see that they die for their testimony. In, 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 in before this, who are the ones that are being killed? The saints. Those who have come to faith in Christ, right? The saints are the ones that have been being killed. But Jesus says, as he does in the, in, the, in the Gospels, do not fear him who can kill the body. Right? He says, do not do that. But rather fear him who is able to, to kill both body and soul in hell. Right? And, 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 and the reality is 
that this is the same truth being testified to us. That while those who are in Christ die for their testimony, they ultimately live forever. And those who live, who live for themselves ultimately die in their sin. Those who die for Christ ultimately, here in verse 13, enter into the rest of the Lord. And those who die in peace in this life ultimately enter into the wrath of the Lord. This is the contrast being laid out for us here. This is the, those who, those who die receive their reward who are in Christ. And those who die in worshiping the beast and the false prophet, they will receive their reward as well. Right? We read, for instance, in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Those who are in Christ who die in their sin apart from Christ receive their reward. The reward of their self-religion, their self-righteousness, their self-reliance. They receive these things because they have not taken shelter under the grace of God in Christ. They have not repented and turned to faith in Christ. And so they die receiving their reward. But those who are in Christ, they die and they receive their reward. And what is their reward? That they may rest from their labors, verse 13, and their works do follow them. In other words, it is clear, it is evident It is evident, those who are in Christ. It is evident. So, the reality of hell, the reality of hell, while it is not popular, the reality of hell, while it is is and should be seen by us as as being being terrifying and and should be seen by us as as being um, um, horrific, we do not allow the whims of this world and the, 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 the world to set the truth of God's word. We bow ourselves to the truth of the teaching of God's word. And, 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 and let me say this. We, we should never relish. We should never relish and rejoice in those who are apart from Christ dying without Christ. And, and, and again, and without, without obviously using the phrase, I'll tell you, this is why the culture, in the broader culture, doesn't understand. When they, use, when they use phrases about hell so flippantly, they don't understand what they're saying and the reality of what they're, what they're, what they're wanting or what they're saying that they wished for that person. We have, no, we have no real understanding. They have no real understanding. Our culture has no real understanding of hell. Hell has been turned into a has been turned into either uh, something we just don't talk about or it, it is something that uh, we really just uh, we really have, have flipped on its head and really have no true understanding of because it is far too shameful and dark and twisted uh, in many people's worldviews for us to look at. But, but Christian, let me say this. Let me say two things in closing. One, rejoice in Christ because your sins are forgiven. And Christ has drunk the wrath of God for you and for me. And he has accepted us and embraced us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And has placed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let us rejoice in that. And let us celebrate that reality. But two, let us weep for souls who do not know Christ. 
Let us intercede for them and plead for the Lord's gracious, sovereign grace to be, to, be, to be poured out upon them. For God's electing sovereign grace to be given that God would draw them to faith in Christ. He would, he would, he would bring them to faith in Christ and they would experience his sovereign grace. Let us pray and work to those ends that, that sinners would, would, would if, even if they reject it, would hear the gospel. They would hear the gospel and that we would weep over souls who are apart from Christ. That we would weep over the souls of those who, who, who have rejected Christ in this life. So while we rejoice in the one hand, we also weep in the other. We weep for those who are not in Christ. And we rejoice for those of us who are in Christ. And we hold both of these things in tension. Rejoicing and weeping together and working then for the, for, the, for, the, for the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. So let us do both of these things for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the, the, the word of God that has been given to us. We praise you for the grace of God that has been manifested to us. And Father, our prayer now is that um, you would help us to think soberly and rightly about the truthfulness and the reality of, of hell and judgment and wrath. But God, also think soberly and rightly about the grace of God that's been given to us freely in Christ. And that you, Lord Jesus, have drank to the dregs, through the bottom of the cup, the wrath of God for us. So we, may we rejoice on the one hand. May we celebrate your grace, the fact that we were sinners who are, who are unworthy of your salvation but was freely given to us only and solely by your grace. But God, may we weep for souls and for sinners who do not know Christ, that they would come to know Christ. May this be our heart, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.